0: You're listening to episode 220 of TV's Top 5, the Hollywood Reporter's TV podcast. I'm Leslie Goldberg, the West Coast TV editor, and I'm joined as always by the great Dan Feinberg, the Hollywood Reporter's chief TV critic. What's shaking, my friend?
1: I'm a little nervous to be recording this podcast, Leslie, because I feel like there's been a lot of news breaking the past couple days, and, and every second we're talking about TV news, there could be TV news breaking on the side. So, uh, so, so... Time slows for no Leslie or something like that. <laughs>
0: so yeah, we we delayed the, the recording of this by about half an hour to deal with the uh, reservation dogs announcement, which we'll get to in an upcoming topic this week. So Indeed, and if we'd it.
1: and if we'd recorded yesterday at this time, we would have had to have delayed it for probably even more for the other two announcement, which we'll also discuss in this podcast. So, yeah, that's that's sort of the unifying principle of this podcast is. TV comedies ending after short runs or something to that effect. If if the but podcast needs also, themes.
0: But that's also like the subtitle of the TV industry for the last like 5 years, right? TV shows in general ending after short runs.
1: Yes. True so. story. So it it yeah. all it all is fitting and it all is on brand and
0: yeah. Yeah. So well before we get into those two topics, we're going to lead off the way we usually do with headlines.
1: Number 1.
0: Up first, two weeks after Pat Sajak announced that he would be retiring from his hosting job at Wheel of Fortune, producer Sony TV announced Ryan Seacrest would be taking over after Sajak bids the series farewell following its upcoming season. Dan, this is a big hire, and more importantly... Sony handled this far better than they did Jeopardy. <laughs> yes. More importantly, we
1: are not going to now need to do five consecutive weeks of Wheel of Fortune based topics on this podcast. So yay, absolutely. That is the most important part of this story. There is there is nothing else of even, of even secondary importance within this story. It's that we don't have to discuss this any further. There was no process of 10 weeks of... Guest hosts and no process wherein the executive producer randomly announced, "Hey, I'll do it," and forced everyone to look through their podcasting history. Uh, none of that. They simply said, "Sure." The guy who the guy who takes over for just about everybody, the the heir to Dick Clark and the heir to whatever, uh, sure, why not Ryan Seacrest? You take this one too, so. I don't know. I feel like that is that's been the general reaction in my Twitter feed. Is everyone has been halfway between, yeah, that's boring as hell, and yeah, sure, why not?
0: <laughs> yeah, but that's what they need, right? They need someone safe who can pick up the who, you know who can pick up the baton in a very seamless fashion. And obviously, Seacrest knows what he's doing in the, on the hosting front, and he's a host that Middle America will continue to accept. And again. Sony spent some money here, clearly to get Seacrest here, but uh, yeah, the big for me, the big takeaway is that this is not a, another fiasco. So, well done, Sony.
1: Exactly, and now we can go back to what, concentrating on whether or not Vanna White has gotten a pay raise in eighteen years, thirty years, however long it is. Uh, we can we can concentrate on that injustice rather than dwelling. So.
0: Yeah, our our former editor, Matt Bellany, has been covering that pretty well over at uh, Puck. So definitely subscribe to that if you're interested in the the weeds details of what's going on behind the scenes here.
1: Continuing with headlines, uh, for people who have been following the recent, not particularly fun trend of uh, networks canceling things they already renewed or canceling things and then abruptly pulling them from services or whatever, Paramount Plus has continued its purge of content with... Among other shows, Greece, Rise of the Pink Ladies, Star Trek, Prodigy, The Game, that being the reboot of the classic sitcom, and Queens of the Universe, they have all been canceled and removed from the streamer. Other titles, including Inside Amy Schumer, the Kevin Williamson anthology Tell Me a Story, and A Slate of Nickelodeon content, which I didn't mostly recognize, are also being purged as part of the latest in an industry train, trend of prioritizing tax write-offs over content and convenience to users.
0: Yeah, what surprised me is that um, it's the game reboot. T- entire run of the original version of the game is remaining on the platform, but inside Amy Schumer is not just the, the the most recent season, but the entire library of, of inside Amy Schumer, which is really surprising. So, I guess we'll wait and see after they get a big tax write-down and a future earnings report if they wind up licensing these shows to some of the free ad-supported channels the way that HBO did with the likes of Westworld and The Nevers, among others. So, yeah, this is a trend that doesn't appear to be going anywhere. Uh, Hulu this week did something similar where they had licensing deals for a number of shows Uh, Some that on Hulu, they ended those shows a lot sooner than the current licensing agreements called for. And they did a little bit of a purge as well. So Blindspot, for example, which they didn't own. Was being, is going to be removed from the service a lot sooner than expected. So here you're actually getting some sort of idea about what's performing and more specifically, what's not performing on these streaming platforms based on these decisions. So the the sad thing is, is that, you know, most of my timeline, Dan, was really focused on Star Trek Prodigy because this show, it was an animated show designed to bring new viewers into the Star Trek landscape that Alex Kurtzman had been working on for a very very long time this was a passion project of his really warmly reviewed they had renewed it Brian Robbins came out and uh and and did interviews in support of it and said this we watched this at unspool at comic-con and the reception was incredible this was going to be a cornerstone of some of the kids and family stuff that, that they they were doing handed out a speedy renewal they did a second window for it on Nickelodeon they were really all in on this one and yet here it goes
1: yeah, baffling. I would I would say that one. Just given that the entire purpose of what they've been doing with Alex Kurtzman and the all of the Star Trek people has been building out this varied universe of new Star Trek properties. And some of them have been warmly received. Some of them have been coldly received. Some of them have been initially coldly received and then warmly received like Picard. Uh, we're coming just after uh A Bold New Worlds, Brave New Worlds, Beyond New Worlds, whatever the hell. The one that people actually genuinely seem to love had its second season premiere. So,
0: so very odd that. uh yeah. And this is your way yeah. to bring in new viewers into the Trek franchise that remains one of the most watched properties on Paramount+. Plus, So it doesn't make any sense to me on on that level. And it could not have been that that expensive. So they were almost done with production on season two. They're going to shop it. All of these shows will be shopped to different platforms as as usual. But again, it's a tough landscape out there right now in the middle of all of this labor stuff. So we'll also get to that in an upcoming topic too. Mm -hmm. Elsewhere. FX comedy breeders will conclude with its upcoming fourth season, which returns July 31st on a linear network and the following day on Hulu and the upcoming 10 episode sixth season will be the last for Magnum PI on NBC. This was, as you'll recall, a former CBS show that ran for four seasons and then NBC stepped in. They co-produced it with CBS studios, gave it a 20 episode pickup, which is they basically split in two. And, and the reason they don't call them seasons is because there is a financial incentive to calling it just a 10 episode and splitting the season. It means you don't give the cast or the, the the stars, any raises that come with with aging shows or pay increases built in on each step for everyone involved. And if you do a split season like this, well, you don't have to do that. It's a really, really nasty uh, loophole. So yeah, uh, NBC had to make the decision early because the options on the cast expired June 30th. And obviously in the middle of the, uh, of the writer's strike, there's no timetable for when both sides are going to get back together to start bargaining again. And now we know that every day that goes by is going to dramatically affect the, the, fall TV season. And at this point, the op the the options that NBC had was A pay the cast and extend the options. B renew the show sight unseen for another season, not knowing how these upcoming ten episodes are going to do, or or C cancel it. And we they took the one that was more cost effective. So not a surprise.
1: I guess we're going to see how many more shows fall into that bucket in the in the weeks to come because presumably it won't be the first, but anyway, there are two shows ending and neither one of them got a separate segment. So, uh, so yeah, but
0: yeah. And I think we're going to see more of this, you know, like, look, these in the middle of all the labor stuff that's going on right now, all of these big companies have been reviewing the books. That's why you're seeing some of this content be purged from streaming services. That's why you're going to start to see a lot of these shows that may not have been big breakouts or critical favorites end a lot sooner because if the viewership doesn't support the spending or the spending is just you know like ev- ev- all these companies are, are basically using the strike and the work stoppage as a way to kind of review the books because we know that these companies have overspent as they had to build up all of their streamers and now they're trying to to course correct and the big way to do that cancellations purging content
1: <sighs> but it isn't All negative news and headlines this week on uh, renewal news. MGM Plus, you might know MGM Plus as the artist formerly known as Epix, has renewed the horror drama From for a third season. I've definitely noticed, actually, in recent weeks, a bump in people saying, hey, why did no one tell me that From was fun? I mean, I'm pretty sure I said reasonably nice things about it on the the podcast, but not everyone listens to the podcast, and I didn't write a review of it or anything. But anyway, so yes, people seem to be finding that show. It does seem to have something in the vicinity of elusive momentum. And definitely at, whenever the hell we last had, in-person Television Critics Association press tour, they had a panel for, uh, from, and everyone talked about kind of how well it was doing and how, how much they anticipated that MGM Plus slash, slash Epix was going to make sure that it had whatever its run was supposed to be, like it didn't end abruptly. So makes sense.
0: Yeah. And wrapping up headlines, another senior executive is departing the CW as longtime scheduling exec Kevin Levy, who helped launch the network, is going to exit August 1st. That leaves only one senior executive at the now Nexstar controlled network. Yeah, and end days for what was. Pouring one out for for one of the best in the biz.
1: Number two. Up second, the other two is reaching the end of its run on, well, formerly HBO Max. I still can't just say Max. It doesn't make sense to me. In any case, in last week's podcast, I talked a little bit about how I assumed that the other two was going to be coming back for a fourth season, and Leslie was making funny faces at me the entire time I was doing it. Part of the reason why Leslie was making funny faces at me the entire time I was talking about my assumption that it would have a fourth season is because it's not going to have a fourth season. Now, this is interesting because, well, there are two different versions of what exactly either went down here or what the story is here. So, Leslie, break it down because we had a rather terrific story on THR yesterday that was both about the cancellation that HBO Max says is entirely because, well, sorry, Max says was entirely because of a creative decision from the creators. But who knows?
0: Yeah. And, then, and credit where credit is due. Uh, this was a story that I worked on with our, our colleagues, Gary Baum and the great Lacey Rose. Um, but in a statement, you know, the creators, Chris Kelly and Sarah Schneider, said that they'd always envision this week's season three finale as a series ender. Uh, I don't watch the show. I'm going to duck for people throwing tomatoes at me, right, for saying that. But what's interesting is our reporting uncovered that there was another blow here for diehard fans of the cult comedy. Allegations that Kelly and Schneider were the subject of staff complaints to human resources. Multiple sources involved with the other two confirmed to, to THR that Kelly and Schneider were the subject of complaints to HR over behavior on set and in the writer's room. These include allegations that Kelly verbally abused writers and overworked crew, as well as claims that that Schneider enabled his behavior. At the same time, several insiders say that there is no causal connection between the complaints and the decision to end with season three. There was an HR investigation. They, the showrunners and creators, were cleared of any wrongdoing during you know during the investigation. They were barred from from att- from being on set. Of course, they were cleared of any wrongdoing, and then came back to set. So yeah, it's, it's, you know, depending on what, what you want to read into this, either way, the show is ending. And at this point has ended. You've seen the, the, the finale is out there already. So it's up to you, our, our dear listeners and, and fellow critics, if you actually think that the season three finale did feel like a series finale, I've seen some, some coverage of it online, that said, it didn't. So, Dan, I know you haven't seen it yet, but uh, I'll be curious to hear your thoughts.
1: Yeah, I've watched uh, most of the season, but I don't think I've watched the last two episodes. And uh, you know, this is this is disappointing, and I know why it's disappointing for for many many listeners, viewers, readers, whatever this happens to be. You know, last week we had the great Angie Han on the podcast, and uh, the other two was one of her choices as one of the best shows of the year at mid point and uh and certainly her her feeling is is not one that she is alone on uh there's sort of it again we'll say this for the zillionth time if we don't have ratings for streamers it becomes very difficult for us to parse anything in a traditional way and so you know on on one hand this feels like a surprise because if you exist within my bubble, it seems like absolutely every human being on Earth watches the other two, with the exception of Leslie Goldberg. Uh, you you would probably like it, I think. I think it's I think it's a clever show, and now and now you're going to watch it this weekend, and you're going to love it, and you're going to be angry and whatever. So. <laughs> no i need to
0: catch up on reservation dogs
1: you should definitely do that first but that's that's the next segment leslie geez yeah
0: Uh, but i did just finish season two of the bear which we should do like a a season in review on because that shit was good
1: i i suppose that is a thing that we could have done or could do or something to that effect uh i mean i said i said it was good last week on the podcast i you know a, a bit like from you can't say i didn't tell you it was decent uh no, but so so on one hand we have no idea what the ratings are. We have only our sense within our respective bubbles that everybody was watching the show. Clearly everybody was not watching the show. And so also, like if you They take, don't own it.
0: This is produced by MTV Studios. Yeah, and this
1: and this was a show that already moved networks once presumably at least in part because they felt it wasn't getting the audience it was supposed to be where it was, which was I mean, Comie it, it moved because
0: Comedy, Comedy Central almost exclusively got out of scripted, so they haven't greenlit anything since the, on on the scripted front. They
1: haven't, so. but they've still aired some shows, I believe. Subsequently, there, yeah,
0: Aquafina is Nora from Queens. I can't remember what else, but I mean, these are things that were already greenlit. Not that they can't undo that, but anyway, I digress.
1: All, all, all I'm saying is, it's not it's it's not a shocker when a show that uh, that was moved from one place to another you know, maybe or maybe not didn't find an audience. And then there's also the question of whether or not a decision was made somewhere that maybe it wasn't worth whatever the service was of of whatever was happening behind the scenes. Or alternatively, it absolutely and completely was that the creators felt like they got to the place they wanted to. The only reason why I doubt that is because of the question of whether or not this was a show that had momentum, whether or not this was a show that was building an audience and, and actually was on the verge of, of a bigger and bigger breakout. And, and now we're never going to know that. And, and also not calling it a final season kind of denied the show, the opportunity to have that sort of valedictory send off, which shows often like to have. And that, you know, as we're going to see in our next segment, you know, it's a show that is beloved and will now get to have its final season, celebrated to the rooftops as the third and final season as opposed to, oh, yeah, we're done. So that's that's honestly the only reason why I would be skeptical of them saying this was what we wanted to do is that there's just no reason to to deny people the chance to celebrate your show as its ending and to abruptly say, yeah, we're done. Or alternatively to just take the Ted Lasso path and just not say anything or do anything and let everyone just keep guessing absolutely forever. So I guess there are choices, but no, I have like, a feeling
0: that we'll, we'll hear what's going on with Ted Lasso after the conclusion of the rider strike.
1: Seems likely. And I also have a feeling that we will hear some more details about what happened or was happening behind the scenes on the other two in months, years to come. Uh, very clearly, this is not a thing that was a secret. If you go back, the Tina Fey joke at the Pan America event where she talked about how Lorne Michaels had enabled uh, writers oh, to stream... <laughs> to, let to, me to read s- that quote. Yes, it, yes, it's it. just
0: unbelievable. So... Uh, the quote is, quote, "Nobody indulges writers like Lauren Michaels. Lauren, you have unleashed an army of monsters into the world. You know it, I know it, and the crew of the other two knows it." Oh, was I supposed to change that? I was supposed to change that. That's inappropriate. Oh well, it's not live streaming.
1: And it's perhaps <laughs> even and it's perhaps even better the the clip from the event is circulating online and it, and it's maybe and well, not surprisingly, it's even better when delivered by Tina Fey. Yeah. So
0: this is, a and thing. I mean, and just to be clear, yeah. Lauren Michaels executive produces the other two, and the creators started started their career working together on Saturday Night Live, which again also produced by Lauren Michaels.
1: Indeed. So, um, so yeah. So, so people clearly knew there were things that were happening behind the scenes on that show that were less than ideal. That would just be the easiest way to put it is less than ideal, because as you said, and and as we want to emphasize. There were, if there were complaints and an investigation, the people involved were cleared. So that is, that is an important thing to, to mention. But obviously, you can, Hollywood, Hollywood, as we know very, very well, you can get away with a fair amount of tyranny and not receive punishment for it. So honestly, who knows? But no, I, I, again, bottom line, this is a show that I didn't love as much as a lot of people did, but it still was an extremely, funny show. And in the same way that people very clearly were finding the show in the past year or two years, people are going to continue to find that show. And it's absolutely going to be one of those shows that five or 10 years down the road, people are going to be like, my God, I can't believe we only got three seasons of this show. This show should have had 150 seasons. It's going to go. It's going to go for some people in that happy endings style, you know, camp of of shows that didn't, you know, that weren't one and done shows. It's not Freaks and Geeks. It got three seasons, but still, it will feel truncated to people.
0: Number three. Up next, it's the end of the road for one of television's best shows, as creator Sterling Harjo announced this week that the upcoming third season of Reservation Dogs would be its last. I'm going to read a quote that he posted on his Instagram account quote, I always knew what the end of this story would be. I just didn't know when it would arrive, he said. As we continue to break stories and write scripts this season, it became clear to the producers, Taika, Watiti, and me, that the season three finale is the perfect series finale. Dan, I know this was a show that you universally just could not tell enough people to watch. This is one of your favorite shows, I think, that we've since we've been doing this show.
1: Oh, absolutely! This was this was my number one show of of twenty twenty two. I believe the first season was in my top three for twenty twenty one, and season three is slash was and always going was going to be one of my two or three most anticipated shows of the year. And so, this kind of raises the bar. Uh, yeah, I mean the. The truth is, if Sterling Harjo says we told the story we wanted to tell and there is no indication that FX slash Hulu canceled the show for any reason and there is no indication that we know of of anything untoward behind the scenes, then God bless That, that. That's the that's the simplest thing I can say is that if. If there were no other reasons other than we told the show we wanted to tell and we wanted to make sure that everybody was able to strike while the iron was hot and take advantage of this opportunity, then then I have only happiness for everyone involved because this was I mean, a show. Yeah.
0: I mean, the FX quote, I mean, the statement, first of all, the statement is three paragraphs long, but the first sentence just tells you everything you need to know about how FX feels about the show. Quote, people throw around the words historic and groundbreaking far too often and without merit. Reservation Dogs is worthy of those superlatives. Yeah. FX announced that Archer was ending. There was no statement. It was just ending (laughs) after what, like 14 seasons? No statement from FX, but Reservation Dogs, groundbreaking and historic.
1: And and it is. You you can look, you, you can simply look on that level, the groundbreaking and historic level And say that as a piece of representational television, it was a thing that was unprecedented and a thing that was so important. The the team of Indigenous uh, actors who starred in it, the team of Indigenous writers and directors who wrote and directed it, all of the people who were employed by the production in Oklahoma – These are people who, for the most part, were not given chances by Hollywood to tell their own stories, and this is that. And it is triumphant on that level, and if it were only that level, that would still be a reason to sing the show's praises. It is also, simply put, a beautiful and often brilliant piece of completely and totally distinctive television that could choose on a week-to-week basis what it wanted to be. It was a show that could absolutely break your heart when it wanted to. It was a show that was hilarious as hell. And so, you know, in a world where comedies often forget to be funny, Reservation Dogs was frequently hilarious. It was always heartwarming. It was always telling stories that felt recognizable on every level, but telling them in a way that could only be told in this way on this show. And, you know, just you start with the cast and and uh Devery Jacobs, Defero Wunatai, uh Lane Factor, Polina Alexis, but all of the supporting actors. So many people who who haven't been seen before on television or haven't been seen before in this context on television, someone like Zon McLaren, who has done brilliant and great work before, and and people know Zahn McLaren, and now Dark Skies on AMC becomes kind of his uh his standout, and that's great. He's never gotten the chance to do some of the things he got to do on this show. Uh, Gary Farmer, another great uh, indigenous actor who has done great work before in many, many things, great part, as good a part as he's ever had, with the possible exception of Dead Man by Jim Jarmusch, a great, great movie. Uh, you just go through the list of writers and directors on the show, and it's it's a checklist. It's the when will when will someone give this writer slash director the next chance to do something? When will this person get the next chance to do something? What will Sterling Harjo do next? What will uh, Debra Jacobs, who has a Marvel show coming up, she's one of the co stars of Echoes, and she moved over and became a writer in the second season on Reservation Dogs. I believe in the third season, she also adds directing to her uh, to her arsenal she's also was on our uh, our awards round table uh, earlier this year and uh, everyone spoke highly of her and her work there uh so you know you're just you're just looking at people who were given a platform by this show that no show was giving them previously that no movie was giving them previously and it's a beautiful funny thoughtful and specific platform that this show gave them and I'm, I'm sad because it, this is the kind of show that if it had aired 10 seasons, I would have loved to have seen these characters grow. But if this was what Sterling Harjo wanted to do, fantastic. And I, I hope that people in Hollywood line up for whatever the next story is that he wants to tell.
0: Well said. Number four. Up Next. We return to the strike zone for the latest updates on Hollywood's labor wars. Dan, the big news this week is that the Directors Guild of America has ratified a new three-year deal with the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, which represents the studios and streamers. Um, I'm honestly surprised by this. Um, I know that the DGA is really not known for striking. I think the longest strike in their history was like three hours and change. But uh, what we do know is the deal establishes a new formula for foreign residuals and offers some guardrails on the use of artificial intelligence. As for the turnout, the Guild is is framing this as exceeding any previous DGA ratification vote. 87% of the Guild voted to support the deal, with 41% of the Guild's more than 16,000 eligible voting members participating. So less than half of the members voted, but of those who voted... 87% of less than half of them (laughs) agreed to ratify the new deal and get back to work. However, no one's writing and most productions have been stopped by picketing writers and everyone's kind of pushed till after the end of the WGA strike. And yeah, anyway, uh, yeah. During the voting period, the details of the DGA's new deal with the studios and streamers did receive a mixed reaction from union members. Some were excited about the broad reach of the gains. Others publicly felt that they that the provision on AI wasn't airtight and they were disappointed that there was no data transparency from the streamers even addressed. So most of my writer focused timeline on social questioned why the DGA squandered this unusual leverage that they had that was provided by the writer's strike. So, and as we record this, we're still waiting to hear what's going to happen because with, with the actors branch, SAG-AFTRA, because their contract expires tomorrow, June 30th. So could be a delay, uh, you know, because we've heard some from, the, from some guild leaders that, that, that it sounds like a deal is close. But e- either way, as for the DGA, the big question here is what does this mean f- for the Writers Guild? And the answer, honestly, is not much. You know, we've talked about this on, on previous episodes where a lot of hope is that the, the DGA will settle, they'll they'll ratify a new deal, and then that new deal they'll copy and paste for the Writers Guild and for the Actors Branch, and presto, Hollywood's summer of, of labor dispute and, and everything else is over, but that's not going to happen here because – at least not universally, because a lot of what the, the writers guild is pushing for are protections specifically that, that are protections that specifically pertain to writers, not to directors. Yes. They, you know, they do want pay raises and all, and all of that other stuff and protections on AI. But we've talked about this, I think for what, two months now it's you're, you're trying to protect the size of the writer's room. You're trying to protect against span and AI, everything else. But you know, it's unlikely to really do much to help the writers. So in terms of SAG-AFTRA, this is again the union that represents performers. Things are definitely going down to the wire. The Guild's contract expires June 30th. Leadership said in a video to its 160,000 members this week that talks had been, quote, extremely productive so far. At the same time, more than 1,000 members of SAG-AFTRA, including heavyweights like Meryl Streep, Jennifer Lawrence, Quinta Brunson, and hundreds of other top actors signed a letter to union leadership and the negotiating committee informing them that they are prepared to strike and make sacrifices that the guild's top leadership may not be prepared to make. This is basically they're telling their negotiating committee and and leadership that, hey, we know you. if you're getting close to a deal – don't take the first deal that they offer. Do better. We are ready to take advantage of this moment in our industry. And they're basically seeking a seismic realignment of minimum pay rates, streaming re- residuals, and exclusivity provisions. The letter called for a transformation of self-tape audition practices, which became a huge thing during the pandemic, and a major regulation on AI, making sure that the deal, quote, protects not just our likenesses, but makes sure that we are well compensated when any of our work is used to train AI. Again, AI is a bigger threat to the writer's guild and the performers union than it is to the DGA. So the union here cited all of those points specifically with the exception of exclusivity, those short TV seasons and long hiatuses were cited as priorities for this rounds of negotiations in a communication with members in May. So the big thing here, here Dan is this, this, this is the money quote. It says, this is not a moment to meet in the middle. So, we know that the negotiations between SAG-AFTRA and the AMPTP began June 7th. There is a strike authorization vote. Nearly 98% of the membership authorized a potential strike. The last SAG strike was in 2000. This was before SAG merged with the American Federation of Television and Radio Artists to become SAG-AFTRA. And, but the last time that SAG struck against the film and TV industry was in 1980 when SAG and AFTRA were separate unions. The key issues at that time, residuals for pay TV and video cassettes. And the strike lasted 94 days. So what we're hearing in terms of the latest is it could go down to the wire. There could be an, an announcement Thursday night or Friday at some point that they have extended the talks for another week. Or they could reach a deal, or they could not, or they could call for a strike. It's really, you know, there is a radio silence here. This is the big difference between what's going on with the Writers Guild, which is a very public negotiation. But the DGA and SAG-AFTRA have been in a cone of silence. So nothing has leaked so far from from either guild. So it's a wait and see, because if there is an actor strike, as we've just said on previous episodes here, everything will stop. Any productions that are currently being anything that's currently being filmed on sets that hasn't already been shut down by the writer strike will be shut down if there is a SAG after strike.
1: <sighs> lots to lots to digest. And and yeah, where do you where do you want to start? Because I'm I'm kind of interested still by the numbers of the DGA vote. And and not necessarily
0: surprising, Dan.
1: Yeah, it is. And it's
0: but again, then it
1: comes down one more time to to bubble talk and and to something that we definitely said in the past when discussing this DGA offer and and whether or not it was likely to be ratified the the people who we follow on Twitter for the most part are hyphenates and they're hyphenates who have been on strike with the writer's guild. And so their point is this is not showing labor solidarity and the hat that we wear that says writer on it is not being benefited by this. And therefore the hat that we have that says director maybe shouldn't vote for this. And I, and I, I know I said this and I can keep saying it cause it's completely irrelevant. Cause we're never going to know. I, I really would have liked to get some sense of if the numbers felt any different from the people who shared membership in both guilds and, and we'll never know that. So it's, it's pointless to keep raising it, but it does feel like I would guess that there were differences demographically within the guild, the people who are only directors, uh, The people who are older directors, I'm guessing probably in those cases, there was something close to 100% voting in favor of it, but I I don't, I don't know. And so, yeah, and similarly, you look at the A-list actors on that SAG-AFTRA letter, and some of them are very clearly also hyphenates, you know, Quinta Brunson, you mentioned. I, I could not tell you how many different guilds she's in, but she's definitely in the Writers Guild as well. So, yeah, it's it's a question of whether you feel as if self interest involves interest for people beyond the self, whether you, whether voting in one's self interest is better served by voting in a collective interest, or which is kind of supposed to be the principle of a of a union, or whether you you look at you know this this is progress, this is an improvement. We should vote for it. Yeah, it's it's interesting, and and obviously what SAG decides to do, SAG after, I'm sorry, got to include both sides is going to be the whole kit and caboodle. But once again, it's not going to benefit the writers. It's who knows.
0: I mean, it's leverage. If SAG goes out on strike, obviously the negotiators will have to go back to the table with the WGA, and there is more pressure on. The AMPTP, which represents the studios and streamers, to get a deal done with the writers, and then to turn to the, to the actors as well, at, because no production is not good for anyone.
1: Oh, ab- so. absolutely, it benefits the writers yeah. if the actors go out on strike. It, it, oh, for sure, but, yeah. But even but even then, as as you keep saying, and as we keep saying, the primary issues for each guild. There are overlaps in each case, but similarly, folks have different autonomous needs, desires, requirements. So you go back and you listen to our great Happy Endings Room Reunion podcast and the things that they talk about in that podcast to me are especially interesting because they are the interests that are exclusive to writers. And those are the things that the writers are putting Front and center, because they know that communication wise, they need to be put front and center, that they're the things that the person sitting at home isn't necessarily going to instantly respond to. If you just say we would like more money because we're not getting residuals off of streaming, everybody can understand that. There will not be any person at home who will say, well, that seems fair because it doesn't. But getting into the issues of the writer's room size and all of that, those are the things that sag and the dga they're they're just not going to care about in the same way. And so, as long as writers keep emphasizing those are the things that matter, it, it becomes it becomes tough for you know it becomes it becomes tough for a solution to the DGA and a solution for SAG to also be a solution for writers entirely because they don't want to lose track of those things that are autonomous to their guilt. and yeah
0: i I'm, I'm honestly really really curious why we haven't seen anyone from the DGA leadership doing any press i've tried multiple times uh, to to book the president of the, of the DGA and i'm not going to name her here because i don't want any hate mail directed but you can find that out very easily and it's not worked out and and it's not for lack of trying so but i haven't seen any interviews with her so very curious what, what's going on with, with that press blackout it seems even though there is a deal that has already been ratified so
1: the offer is the offer remains out there dga leadership you're welcome on tv's top five <laughs> number five
0: As usual, we wrap things up with the Critics Corner. Among this week's major launches, The Witcher returns to Netflix, Warriors back on Max, and Jack Ryan's final season launches on Amazon. Dan, not a lot to choose from this week.
1: No, and you just listed three shows that I don't, watch anymore so and in some cases i feel regret about that warrior is simply a situation where i really liked the first season i simply haven't had time to watch the second and therefore i haven't watched the third but friend of the five alan seppenwall has been extremely enthusiastic as has friend of the five mo ryan and i trust friends of the five alan seppenwall and mo ryan and one of these days i really do look forward to watching Warrior Because the first season I thought was terrific. With Jack Ryan, the first season I thought was fine, and I've kind of moved on with my life. It doesn't really require me to be successful, and that's fine. And same for Witcher. Witcher is a situation where, yeah, I, I didn't think it was good enough to keep watching for my own reasons, and we made a collective decision that the last season of Henry Cavill's tenure on the Witcher was not sufficient uh, incentive to review. But on the other hand, when it becomes a Liam Hensworth vehicle for next season, sure. Well, we'll check that out because that's a major cast change. Um, But yeah, so, so the three biggest shows of the weekend are, are shows that not, not so much on my radar. And you didn't even mention the triumphant return of 10 year old Tom on HBO Max, Leslie. What up with that? You're just giving me a look of confusion like you've never heard of 10 year old Tom, as if I didn't rave about the first season. Uh, yeah, anyway. Ten- <laughs> Ten-Year-Old Tom, I've watched more than half of the second season of because it's a half-hour animated comedy and therefore much easier to uh, watch. For those who didn't watch the first season, it is the latest from Life and Times of Tim creator Steve Dildarian. Uh, And if you like the droll sensibility and the kind of cringy animation style and comic styles of Life and Times of Tim, you will surely like Ten-Year-Old Tom. And the good thing about Steve Dildarian's comic sensibility is that it is extremely repeatable. It is absolutely a all-encompassing world view. Wherein, yeah, if if he if he can do it for one season, he can do it for five. And uh, season two is very much full of the same embarrassment. It is the story of, as you might guess, Tom, who is ten years old, and his misadventures. That stem not so much from looking at the world negatively, but from the fact that everything he attempts to do coasting through the world is inevitably going to go wrong. He is not a person who has malignant intent, but boy, oh boy, do bad these things spiral out of control and happen to poor Tom. It is to me an extremely funny show, but I can also similarly imagine that many people will find it not the least bit funny. It is the same with uh, Life and Times of Tim, which was a show that I really loved. Um, So yeah, 10-year-old Tom returning to to Max. So yay. And then there are a few other kind of odds and ends out there. Um, You might recall that At the end of May, ESPN aired a 30 for 30 about American Gladiators. And you were like, ooh, I didn't know that I needed four hours of television about the behind the scenes on American Gladiators. Well, guess what? You didn't just need four hours of television about the behind the scenes on American Gladiators. You needed two different series. And the next one is nearly five hours about behind the scenes on American Gladiators uh, because Netflix has one, too. Uh, Muscles and Mayhem is directed by Napoleon Dynamite creator uh, Jared Hess, sort of odd the career direction he's taken, but everyone's got to do what they got to do or what they want to do in this case. And uh, Tony Van Iku. Um, and it's I feel like probably realistically, it's much closer to the behind the scenes on American Gladiators documentary that people wanted then the 30 for 30 uh, Ben Berman on that one made his approach kind of a deep exploration of the creation and authorship of that show. And so it was very much about Johnny Ferraro, the former Elvis impersonator who created the show, but who also may not have solely created the show. And it was about giving, I don't know, giving an explanation for how the show came to be and what the creative process was much more than getting down to the nitty gritty of ha 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 gladiators taking steroids and having sex behind the scenes. Things got wacky. And this is that, that is basically what this is. It is, it is much more. Here are a dozen of the most famous of the gladiators because the ESPN series had one or two and they were mostly kind of stragglers. And a lot of people are like, but I really want nitro and I really want ice and I really want Tower. I don't know who wants Tower. I don't remember the Tower existed, but I really want Blaze. And all of those people are in this documentary. And so there are whole episodes dedicated to everybody doing steroids, and uh, and to everybody who was having sex on the bus uh, on the national tour, etc. And. At the same time, almost all of the creative questions are ignored entirely. And what's fun about it is that if you watch the nine hours of these two documentaries, and I don't necessarily know why casual viewers would want to, but enthusiastic fans might, there's almost no overlap at all between the two of them. Like there are like three stories that are heard in both documentaries, and maybe three or four people who appear in both documentaries Otherwise, it's really too into- – it's it's very Rashomon-esque in its sense that this was a show and there may have been a truth, but here are two completely different versions of that truth with no overlap whatsoever. I find that amusing, but if you don't care about American Gladiators, I, I don't know why you would care about this. And then uh, sort of as a last kind of footnote HBO has been wrapping up Pride Month with a couple of uh, documentaries and both of them, our uh, colleague David Rooney really loved. Uh, he particularly, uh, let's see, which one did he? So the one that has yet to air, but that will have premiered and be available by the time people are listening to this is Rock Hudson, All That Heaven's, Heaven Allowed. And it's a, just a really solid perspective on... Rock Hudson and the roles he had to play as both a movie star and as a a man whose homosexuality was common knowledge in Hollywood, but could never be common knowledge to the world, who lived his life in the closet and then at the end of his life became an unlikely and entirely unintentional activist for AIDS as he helped basically break down many of the taboos in terms of how the public learned about AIDS and responded to AIDS. It's, it's a documentary that's funny. It's a documentary that's very amusingly graphic and lewd in talking about his not so secret life in Hollywood. Um, And that ends up being very poignant about kind of the, the ignorance and secrecy that surrounded AIDS in the early eighties. And that was perpetuated by the establishment perpetuated by, ronald reagan and nancy reagan even though nancy reagan was a longtime friend with rock hudson um so it's 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 got passionate and important things as its backdrop and i think people will be interested in that um i haven't watched the other documentary which is uh taylor max 24 uh decade or 12 decade history of popular music however many decades it is uh David Rooney really loved that one. So worth checking out. Uh, yeah. So, so the big stuff on TV though, this week, Witcher warrior and, and Jack Ryan somehow just not in my, in my Ballywick and that's okay. Cause there's plenty of TV.
0: For more of Dan's weekly recommendations, be sure to subscribe to The Hollywood Reporter's Now See This newsletter and bookmark thr.com slash tv dash reviews for more. That feels like a good place to wrap things up. Thank you, as always, for listening to TV's top five, The Hollywood Reporter's TV podcast.
1: You might have noticed that we are heading into the doldrums of summer or the doldrums of july or whatever and this was a a tight podcast which is always nice they don't have to be an hour and 40 minutes each time but next week seems like a really good week for a mailbag segment so we welcome your questions email us at tv's top five at thr.com that's tv's top five the numeral five at thr.com anything you want us to answer explore in more depth etc etc we are here for you Um,
0: and you know, for you, that sounds familiar, Dan, it it
1: it? does. Yes, that is, that is something else. Um, so yes, uh, email us for mailbag segment probably next week. I'm sure we can use the content, but you know, the rest of the deal, subscribe to us on all of your various podcasting platforms. If you like us, rate us. If you really like us, write a little review thing. Those suckers do help spread the word of mouth. I already mentioned, email us at tvstop 5 at thr.com with questions for a future mailbag segment. But we're always happy to chat with you guys on Twitter. She's at Snoodit with two O's. I'm at the fine print, F-I-E-N. We're always happy to hear what works and what doesn't work. Anyway, until next week, Leslie.
0: Until next week, Dan.